listening to Radio. Welcome, a person who's uh, come from our community um, and many communities that are families of our families. And uh, for the past 40 years, um, uh, Tony Andrews been uh, has been researching sound and uh, making devices that help people to actually hear. Um, so uh, if you'd like to give a big, big hand for uh, one of our very, uh, very kind uh, benefactors who loaned us these fantastic Function One speakers. Tony Andrews. Should be working. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for coming to hear what I got to say. Okay, so I'm going to talk about sound today. And I'm going to, well, I figured I better start at the beginning. So um, I'm going to start by uh, trying to describe what sound actually is. And I've written, I've written some notes, so I'm going to be referring to them quite a lot. So sound is the human interpretation of vibrations which are present in a solid, liquid, gas, or even plasma. These vibrations are waves of compression and rarefraction, traveling through a medium, typically air, on our planet in our case. Although they can obviously be heard and felt through water and earth. Our frequency perception is normally thought to lie between 20 hertz and 20 kilohertz. Uh, I would suggest that around 100 hertz and lower, the ears are less involved as the entire body takes over sensing or feeling base frequencies. Um, I know I'm preaching to the converted on that one. Um, so going to back to the beginning, one of the mysteries of the Big Bang was how an exploding singularity could have developed sufficient texture to gravitationally form the galaxies which populate our universe. Um, it has only been recently understood by cosmologists that it was the actual sound of the Big Bang reverberating around the quark soup of the early universe. The vibrations of the Big Bang itself um, rippling around the original bubble of the universe is what created the initial ripples which eventually became galaxies and suns and uh, allowed us to all be here. I guess at this point, uh, in the beginning was the word, takes on a new dimension of meaning. It is an actual fact. In the beginning was the word, the word of the Almighty. Om or Om is the primary mantra in Hinduism, representing, as it does, the sound of the universe. In Buddhism, Om is also viewed as the primal vibration out of which everything came 
into being and into which everything returns at the end of a cosmic cycle. Sound was present at the very beginning of the universe, whereas light only appeared after about 350,000 years. Um, at this point, the universe is reckoned to be about 13.6 billion years old. So the first 350,000 years was quite a short time. It was at about that time of 350,000 years into the original explosion that the universe cooled sufficiently for the first matter to form, which is obviously hydrogen. Once this had occurred, uh, the transmission of photons was possible and, and there was light in the universe for the first time. So it appears that sound is of primary cosmic importance and is the bringer of form to the energy of the universe in possibly a similar way to a metal plate forming patterns in powder when vibrated with a violin bow. And I've got a picture of that um, to show you. This is, this is powder on a vibrating diaphragm. Can't see it as well as I can, sadly. Um, but you can see it just forms naturally into patterns. And um, the sound organizes the energy into the various shapes that, um, that bring form to matter. I've got another one. So I'm not exactly sure what frequencies these are at, but the, the patterns change with, it, with every frequency. Okay, to continue. It is interesting to note that sound frequency and the diatonic scale are referred to in octaves. The eight notes in the diatonic scale are at specific frequencies and they strike our sensibilities in a pleasing and harmonious manner, possibly because the relationship of the notes to each other represents a universal pattern that we are naturally in tune with. In fact, we are naturally a part of. This universal pattern may be rooted in the structure of matter. The various elements are defined by the number of protons and electrons in one, in one atom. The electrons are arranged in discrete orbital shells with eight or multiples of eight being the limit that an orbit can contain before a new one is developed at a specific distance from the previous shell. So this is a, an atom of potassium and it's, it's showing, if you like, the different orbital states of the electrons. So maybe to expand a bit on this, the original matter in the universe was hydrogen. And everybody knows that stars are turning hydrogen into helium. And the energy that is released in the process is what gives the light. And the, so, in a way, all atoms are made of hydrogen pushed together. And it's in the, it's in the death of stars that the, 
the more dense elements are formed. And in that formation, the electrons arrange themselves into specific orbits. And uh, you could see this, uh, the symbol for potassium is K. And the nucleus is in the middle. The first shell only has two, but the second and third shells both have eight. Once, once an, at, um, an electron orbit has eight electrons in it, that's it, it's full. So it has to build another orbit further out. So there is a, there is a fundamental structure to the, to, to the way matter is formed on, on the, certainly everywhere, I would imagine, in the universe, not just this planet. So eight is a very important thing, and it's interesting that we that we ha um, have arrived at a musical scale that is figured in, in, in octaves. The, the discrete relationships of the orbital stages give rise to the field of quantum physics. Furthermore, the periodic table of elements illustrates the repetition of physical properties in an octave cycle. So I'm going to go back to that. This was, a, this was a layout of all the elements on Earth when they realized that um, certain elements group themselves into families. And what defines these families is, is how many electrons are in the outermost shell. And the combination of elements is to do with elements coming together to try to form a perfect eight. Um, common salt, which is sodium chloride. Sodium has one electron in the outer shell. Chlorine has seven. So by combining and sharing, they, f they form the eight. And it's a very strong bond. And it's, as every, I think people know, it's very hard to separate salt into sodium and chlorine. So, moving on. The resolution of our auditory system is quite astounding and is able to provide us with a wider array of information about our environment and events within it. The resolution that we have is demonstrated by work, work done, and I'm informed by a friend of mine at Derby University, Dr. Peter Lennox. Um, there was work done in determining the minimum detected angle of vector change that we are sensitive to. And it turns out to be as little as two degrees. If a sound source moves two degrees, you will notice it. And if we get vector location from the difference in arrival times to our two ears, then this actually represents an arrival time difference of about 15 millionths of a second. So it's incredibly acute. This is actually about 2,000 times higher resolution than the visual sense, which would require, say, 28, 30 frames per second, um, which translates to, I think, 
about 36 milliseconds. Now, a microsecond is a thousand microseconds makes one millisecond. So I'm trying to get over the point here of how acute and how refined the sense actually is. And um, so the idea of this diagram is if, if something's in front of you and moves merely two degrees, you, you can appreciate that. So in terms of resolving power, sound is several orders of magnitude higher than light. And on top of this, it does it over a range of 10 octaves. Whereas light is only perceived, well, I say only perceived, it's perceived in one octave, which is the rainbow. There are seven colors. And I think as you go into the infra, the ultraviolet, it starts to go pink again. It's starting to go back to red. So that's what, what we perceive. Um, it's probably just as well, because if we were able to perceive the entire electromagnetic spectrum, um, it would be like walking in soup, I guess. So there is a reason for the uh, limitation. Furthermore, although common wisdom holds sight as our primary sense, it only perceives information from less than half a sphere through a relatively narrow window of electromagnetic wavelengths. Sound, however, is sensed full spear. Light can also be switched off by closing the eyes or by darkness. Sound is a major contributor to our feeling of location in space and the nature of that space in a way that is not possible with light. Sound conveys a constant stream of information about events located anywhere in our audio sphere. The brain devotes considerable resources in unraveling and deciphering the location and nature of various sound sources. The brain would only use this much energy if sound was of major importance to man's long-term survival. We propose that an early stage in human evolution sound would have emerged as the primary survival sense because it works just as well at night as during the day. And in a jungle environment, it is not blocked by trees. Moving sonic events would be prioritized because of their indication of immediate danger or possibly the, the presence of food. So, Moving sound is, is very stimulating to the emotions. The refinement of human audio perception and the quality of quantity of brain power necessary to process all this information. It is remarkable what scant regard is afforded the audio environment of our present world. One can only recoil in horror at the average quality of electronic audio being broadcast to people all over the world. The reasons for this are manifold and include lack of education, poor equipment, misuse of equipment, corrupted audio sensibilities, vexatious music, and just plain deaf. The, res <laughs> the result... <laughs> Thank you. 
the result of this sorry state is that the communal musical audio experience rarely reaches its full potential and bad sound is quite normal. A sound system is a chain of hardware from the microphone or sample to the loudspeaker and it remains fair to say that it is only as good as the weakest link in the chain. Therefore, for good audio results, every stage of the system and associated processes must be of sufficient quality. I'm sad to say that too many sound engineers are focused on their computers rather than the art of listening. And frankly, they are failing their listeners, mixing with their eyes rather than with their ears. One of the difficulties with this situation is that once a person becomes used to bad sound, it is self-perpetuating. The sound one works with is what one's brain becomes accustomed or tuned to. Over a period of time, our brains will apply the necessary EQ and adjustments to give an approximation of a perceived flat response, which becomes habitual. After a while, even if a sound is superior, it will sound wrong because it is different. And I'm mentioning this because of, uh, shall we say, various reactions that we get to our equipment in uh, various other places in the world. When listening to a new sound, this habitual compensation gets in the way of what is really there and takes some time to unlearn or correct. Uh, the other thing to mention about um, trying to listen to bad sound is that if your brain is applying EQ and, and having to do a lot of filtering, it's hard work. It takes a lot of processing. The sound will um, wear you out, basically. Uh, just imagine yourself in one uh, in a in a pizza place or a, um, a minimalist wine bar where all the walls are hard and everybody's talking and you're trying to have a conversation too. Uh, the amount of energy it takes to filter out all the reflected sound that's also getting into your ears is actually quite phenomenal. And if after a couple of hours of this you find yourself getting tired and is irritable, it's actually not surprising. Very rarely do people connect these things together, that it's in fact the bad acoustic environment which is um, making you feel uncomfortable. Okay. This is um, an, uh, well, an attempt to um, put the colors of the one octave which is, which is shown on the bottom line, which is the, the wavelength of light, and match them up to the, the ten octaves of sound. And on the quite simplistic basis that um, low, frequency, low frequency is bass in sound and low frequency in light is red, then I would suggest that red and bass go together and at the opposite end of the spectrum that uh, violet 
and high frequencies go together. High quality sound is clean and clear, allowing individual sounds to have detail and separation. They are not smeared together. Low quality sound drives the listener away from the experience. High quality sound draws the listener into the experience. Imagine um, if, if you want a man to take his coat off, you don't necessarily try and get the wind to do the job because he will just fight that. Whereas if, you, if the sun comes out and he gets warm, he's going to take his coat off. So I, I look at sound the same way. It's not about, it's not a force, it's not a weapon, it's not something to antagonize people with. It's something to allow a communal mind space, in fact. And I, I believe that we have to be careful and delicate with that part of it because it's new territory and we don't really know for sure where, we, where we're going yet. High quality sound draws the listener into the experience where the precision of information allows the full bloom of musical feeling. These are the words I wrote earlier. The enemies of good sound are over-compressed file formats, overloaded audio circuits in the hardware, making tracks too loud at the expense of headroom. There is this, there is this kind of war going on in the production areas where people think they have to get their tune um, a dB louder than the next guy's and in the process they destroy the sound. I mean, if somebody wants it louder, that's what we've got volume controls for. So... So in the process of trying to do this, all the sound is crushed together and the, there's no dynamic headroom left. There's no, very little possibility of contrast and quiet bits and loud bits. It all gets mushed together. It's a very bad trend, and I don't think there's any much recent music, apart from people who know what they're doing, that isn't treated this way, sad to say. To carry on, <laughs> uh, there's, there's low audio quality electronics, there's bad engineers, and there's bad speakers. And there is a ubiquitous um, component in nearly all high-power loudspeaker systems called the compression driver and in nearly all systems it does the mid-range. Uh, the unique cone mid-range device that we invented actually a very long time ago now to address this problem is actually one of the technological foundations of Function One. Part of the reason that the, uh, I, there's a curve of sensitivity um, called the Fletcher-Munson curve. And we are not sensitive to all frequencies to the same degree. And the most sensitive area is at four kilohertz. 
And it's quite staggering the way a baby can pitch right into this zone. Because when a baby cries, you do pay attention. And that's because it's hitting you right in your most sensitive frequency spot. Now, the compression driver also hits this frequency spot. And uh, most of the time, it's highly distorted. So in a way, it's a double insult. Um, we, re we realized this back in the 70s and sought to, shall we say, substitute this component with something a lot healthier. And the fact that people here like what we do tells me that we were on the right track. So, thanks. Okay. Uh, this is a picture of a graphic equaliser setting in a well-known London venue. I think the desk is a, it's a digital desk, so the graphic equaliser is not a real one, it's a virtual one. Um, but it's a really good example of extremely poor engineering practice. Um, introducing EQ as you can see in this picture, is, um, I mean, nearly every, every fader is up and the next one is down. And when you put EQ on a sound, you introduce a phase shift. So this, the, the guy thought he, he had his analyzer and he was measuring it over real time. And you probably average when you're using an analyzer over two or three seconds. Well, we've already established that the, the ear works in, in millionths of a second, and it pays very, it doesn't pay much attention to the average sound. It's the, it's the leading edges of sound that, that count. So the average sound and, if you like, the transient sound can be of quite different frequency responses. So there's people out there gaily setting up their analyzers, measuring average sound, and then making a graphic equalizer the opposite, thinking that they're doing a good job. But in fact, all they're doing is making the thing look flat to an analyzer, whereas human beings hear quite differently. And uh, that's another big mistake they're making all the time. So, overcompressed file formats, um, MP3s. When I compare an MP3 file to uh, a CD quality file, which in itself is barely good enough to pay proper respect to the, the acuity of human hearing, but the CDs are not bad. They're certainly an awful lot better than an MP3. And what I hear is bass that lacks low frequency extension and the tails of the notes are missing, which altogether makes the sound weak and insipid as far as the bass goes. But more annoying are the high frequencies, which are the opposite of translucent and crystalline being fizzy and crunchy. This is not the kind of audio that you can expand your mind into. 
it's just merely uh, it's like a, uh, a splash of paint on a wall it's not a 3d reality Okay, so FLAC is slightly better, but it's still a compressed f file format. It's, it, the things that make a sound really rich and interesting are, are all the harmonics, and some of the harmonics are 25 or 40 dB down. Now, 3 dB is a half or a doubling of level, so 45 dB is a lot. It's pretty quiet, but we hear it. The thing about the compressed files is that anything below about 25 or 30 dB, they don't even bother with. It's gone. It is no longer there. So, FLAC is possibly better than MP3, but it's, it's not a solution. There is no such thing as a high-quality compressed audio file. It's a nonsense. I'm sad to say. So, low crossover point compression drivers are one of the things that introduce large amounts of distortion into pretty well any sound system in the world. And it's very harsh and it's actually painful. Um, if you drive your equipment too hard, it will overload and that will produce harshness and distortion. And for far too long, many DJs have run their equipment with the meters in the red, causing even more distortion from the overloaded output amplifiers of their mixer. This all adds up to a loss of space and dimension, depriving the listener of involvement, feeling and spiritual motivation. Think of the difference between muddy water and clear water, or fog and a sunny day. With muddy water, only the two-dimensional surface is visible, whereas with clear water, one is able to see into it and appreciate the three-dimensionality of the features within the water. So, um, When one is deeply emotionally involved with quality stereo sound, a space of light, color, and energy can open up within you, and the listener becomes the sound. It is a place where much can be experienced and learnt. So what I'm going to do now is actually try and demonstrate um, a reasonable quality sound, and various kinds of distortion. And to do that, I'm going to take my laptop into the middle so I can hear it as well, make sure it's actually what I hope it is going to be. So I'll be back in a minute. I think there's one more thing to say while I'm here, actually. Um, one of the things I've noticed is that because of this compression driver thing, People get tuned to it, and a lot of engineers actually remove part of the spectrum. A lot of uh, 
sounds is overemphasized in the high mid, if you like, in the cut area. Um, it makes you pay attention, as, as I've already mentioned, because of this high sensitivity in that area. But what they're doing is leaving out the, shall we say, another part of the spectrum. All, all the red, sorry, all the yellow and the green is missing from a lot of sound these days. And you can, you can barely see this, but this is a, a picture of a mixer of what an engineer did to the sound system on every EQ button. There's, I don't know if you can see it, but there's a, there's a red line going across the mixer. And every, nearly every one of those channels, the low-mid control is turned down. So when the band first came on, they sounded great. And he starts panicking and turning it into something that is entirely wrong. And I was just so amazed. I thought, I'm going to take a picture of this. It's just so incredible that this guy is, he now thinks this, this awful thing he's just made is, is right. So that's an example of bad programming. So I'm going to do this now. Okay, it seems to be working, and I've got a mic as well. It's amazing. Uh, so I'm going to start this again. So what I'm going to do is put the track you're just hearing, and this was the high quality, well, the reasonable quality version, and at the same time I'm going to put on, the first thing I'm going to show, because it's really obvious, is, is an overloaded sound card. So... Bear with me a sec. play that for too long because it is nasty. I guess you all heard the, heard the difference. Um, it's pretty unpleasant. Um, so that's a, that's a sound card that's just been driven too hard. When somebody, say if you're recording something or just laying some tracks down and things are in the red, that's the kind of noise you get. So the next thing I've got is, uh, is the ubiquitous MP3 version. It's not quite as obvious, but 
hopefully you can get it. Hi guys. Right, so this is this is the original. So So the last thing that was just on was the was the MP3, and I'm uh, I mean I can hear it, but I'm just I'm wondering how many other people are picking up the difference between those two. Uh, I think it's uh, you know I don't know is it about 128 or something. Yeah, I could I could I could do this again. Um, I'll to start at the beginning. So, so I'm going to start with the with the CD quality, and I'm going to after a while I'm going to switch to the MP3, and you'll know I'm switching because the tracks start doubling. Chris, could we get any more level? I'm going to go back to the WAV file now. Going back to the MP3. Okay, 
So we we just finished on the on on the MP3. Um, I mean, one of the things that, that that I'm hearing happen is that the voices go all gurgly and uh, the transparency in the top end disappears, and the bass is not as extended or as profound. So I don't know whether you're getting it or not, but um, it's there. So I'm gonna. The next thing I'm going to do is um, is put is show you what happens to the signal when it goes through various mixers, and um, the first one I got here is a a Behringer. This is it's actually it's not a terrible piece of machinery, but um, well we'll see. change from the original and after it's gone through um, a pretty standard mixer. Okay, uh, I've got a few more mixers and I'll do them. This is um, this is very well known. This is this is Pioneer, and this is it being run into the red, which is actually probably the most normal condition for it to be used by a DJ. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry to say all this, but it's the facts. So you can you can hear on the, on the second sound um, it's starting to get pretty unpleasant. Um, there's and it's also glitching and um, so I'm I'm doing ex the extreme things I can to try and illustrate the point. Um, 
So this is a more extreme example. too long it's pretty unpleasant um, this uh, this happens all too frequently I'm afraid that was that was uh, I was a well-known mixer in the red where some people think they're supposed to live um, yeah yeah it is so Okay, I mean, I think, I think you've got the idea. Um, so when you when you pile a, a load of things that are distorting one in front of the other, I mean, what comes out the other end is no longer something that's really fit for human consumption. And <laughs> I'm, uh, if there's anything I'm trying to do here, it's to is to get the awareness that. Um, this is a this is a very very important subject and needs to be treated with a lot more respect so um i'm going to stop mucking around with the equipment and uh save me last little bit oh it was right in the red yeah i mean it was up to the roof um So I just hope that I've managed to convey not only the breadth and scope of our sound perception, but also its fine depth of resolution and its link through music to the fundamentals of creation. And um, that's really what I've got to say, except that I'm well open for questions, um, discussion, anything. I don't mind. If there are any questions, there's, uh, there's, uh, I mean, maybe you could take him, take him yeah. the mic. If uh, anybody has any questions, could you please come forward over here and uh, stand behind this line so we don't have feedback? Okay, very good. Come on, behind the line. Okay, very good. Okay, no. So I'm having mostly all of my music in uh, MP3s, and uh, what are you proposing to throw them all away, like ninety thousand MP3s or something like that? I mean, that, I think that I think goes you need for most of the people here that they, I don't know. Yeah, well, most people have MP3s. This is why I'm standing here talking about it because it's become so ubiquitous. So you've got to appreciate that in the early days of the internet. 
uh, bandwidth was very limited and so was storage capacity. So what's, uh, so what, so that was a stopgap method to um, allow people to squirt music around the place. But now it's become a bad habit because we do have the bandwidth and we do have the storage capacity. We don't need to be, shall we say, compromising. It, I mean, it's like processed food. It's, uh, it's not the right thing. As regards what you do, Um, what you do with your, your 90,000 tunes. This is the thing that you always hear. I've got, I've got, no, I've got 50,000 tunes in MP3. Do you know what? I'd rather have 100 tunes that were proper quality than 10,000 bits of nonsense. To be. And I think what you have to do is to, is to pick out the favourites and try and find them in a, in a decent WAV format. I think that's all I can say. Thanks. Okay, man. Thank you for the question. Um, hello. I, Hi. I, I have a little bit of a technical question uh, about uh, the speakers on the Groovy Beach. Uh, <laughs> okay. The, the top speakers there, uh, they don't have a cabinet around. And I was wondering what is the specific uh, reason for that? Uh, it was purely for lightweight and because they were installation speakers they were never actually intended to be traveling around but it's happened anyway thanks a lot okay hi um can i just say that i think that the functions ones are one of the most revolutionary things that has happened with human experience in recent years wow um, <laughs> <laughs> but I would like to um, to ask, what is like the main physical property that you're using that makes function one sound different than other speakers? Like, is it just really high power, or fast attack, or how can you describe this property? Huh. Okay, well, I really believe in efficiency turning the most amount of uh, amplifier electricity into acoustic output. This brings with it a quality of, um, if you like, transient. There's an immediateness to it because they're very sensitive and lively. Um, the other part is that uh, I sound started turning me on when I was a child and uh, I just listen really hard to what, what we're making and we make something we listen to it they, we we get an idea about where to go next and we make that and then we compare the two and so that way you keep building higher it's about discerning um we don't really make a sound in fact we what we try and do is remove all the rubbish um it's so easy for as you can hear sound to be really screwed up and um, speakers are pretty bad at it which is why I went for loudspeakers because they, they are they can be the worst part of an audio system it's, it feels like there's kind of a whip, whip crack effect of sometimes ah. the drums it's like it hits you really hard in your chest different than other speakers I don't know what it is it's because 
it's, it's partly to do with efficiency. It is actually what is what we would call transient response. In other words, when I mean a classic transient instrument would be a snare hit. So what you get at that point is you've got nothing, and then you've got the full sound in a in a, a nanosecond. Well, a speaker can be actually quite slow to get out of bed, and and try and do that. So we've really focused on that part of the sound. Like I said, it's the leading edges where all the information is. And the speakers are really what I call them fast. They're, if, if they're asked to do something, they do it immediately. And when you don't get that, it's because the speakers are just being sluggish and they're not, they're not that responsive. Hi. Um, hi. Hi. <laughs> you, uh, you touched briefly on a correlation between the, the scope of frequency between 20 and 20 kilohertz uh, and the colors of the rainbow. Sure. Um, I was hoping you could elaborate on that because I found it interesting, but you didn't really dwell on it. So. <sighs> elaborate on that. Um, what, what was the basis for that chart? I guess the basis is that, um, like many people here, I, I believe in the interconnectedness of all things and that there's patterns in the universe, there's fundamental patterns out of which all things emerge. And I, there's, I guess there's bound to be a correlation between light and sound. So that, was that your own sort of subjective uh, take on it? Yeah, that I guess, well, I guess so. I mean, it, I asked um, a guy who works on, on, on CAD with us if he could um, knock something up that showed the colors of the rainbow and the, you know, the spectrum of sound. Okay, uh, thanks. Cheers. Yesterday when uh, I was in the dance temple with my friend, we noticed that despite the fact that the sound systems here are at so much louder a level than you can get to in England because of all the noise restrictions, we can talk to each other at conversation level yeah. and hear every single detail yeah. in our speech. And I was wondering, how is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it makes me feel very nice to hear you say that. Um, well noticed. Um, it, it's because it's well organized. It starts immediately and when the sound is over it stops and it's not uh, ringing on or mushing together uh, getting smeared what you finish up with then is a wall of white noise which obviously just fills in all the all the audio space but if it's just the music as it's supposed to be then there's still spaces between all the instruments and this is and and our our auditory system is clever enough to be able to pick out those spaces and, and allow somebody to talk because your voice will be a significantly different thing than what's coming. So it, it, it tells me that we're getting the job right because the space is there. Hi, I have uh, Hi, Harleen. two design questions, one possibly more relevant than the other. The first, 
Why are the speakers all violet? <laughs> I think I have to remember what... Uh, I, he's going to have to forgive me if I get his name wrong. Was it Zova? Uh, one of the artists here said, um, I'm, I'm focused on moving towards the light. I don't do... Um, so do things that are nice and colourful, do things that are of the light, and positive. So I've, I'm not that into black, to be perfectly honest, man. I don't, I don't do dark. I don't do the dark side at all. So, you know, because I have to be reasonably discreet, we've just, and Violet, I mean, it goes, but for me, it goes back to Jimi Hendrix and Purple Haze. So, well, you know, uh, I got the, that's why they're Violet. I don't know if you're familiar with Soldano amplifiers. They're like a, Marshall on steroids that a lot of heavy metal bands use, and I got to meet the designer of those amps, and his favorite color is also the violet, and his personal amps are that color, his hot rod is that color, and I don't know if there's something about sound designers and, you know, people who make speakers and amps that like this color, but I've no, I'm it starting to see well a pattern. <laughs> I'm starting to see a pattern. Okay, but this is the more relevant question, because I've been very interested in uh, loudspeaker design my whole life, and I have other friends who also study and actually uh, hand-build a lot of speakers, and all of the horn-loaded speakers, which, and I understand you use horn-loaded design because that is the most efficient way, and you're really interested Correct, in efficiency. Yeah. A lot of purists want, don't want to have a horn-loaded speaker to get a hi-fi sound, but that would, you would lose great amounts of efficiency. So my question isn't, I was thinking to ask you why horn loading, but you answered that. You answered a lot of my questions. But the shape of your horns are extremely angular, and there's this very uh, geometric shape in the very center of the speaker, which I find quite intriguing. All the horns I see, and all the people building horns, are always perfectly radiused, curved horns. So that is my question. Why these <laughs> angular horns, and what's up with that crazy geometrical uh, shape Thing, that's loading yeah, the okay. center of the horn? And I think a lot of other people are probably wondering that also. So let's, That's a really cool question, Holly, and thank you. Okay. Um, mm. Okay, where do we start? So, sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's, uh, it's making me think. Um, so a lot of your purest friends won't use horns, and that's the hi-fi end. I have yeah, another friend okay, who's but into there's the a reason horn, for that. all the Altex, all those old RCA speakers are all perfect curved shapes. Even, I forget the name of the studio monitors, where they make them out of hardwood. The horns are beautiful, curved, perfect curves. You've got angles. So that's the question. <laughs> okay. Um, so, well, let's start at the beginning of this. The de device in the middle is... Is, is what I would call a wave organizer. And in the early days when we had turbo sound and, and they were rounded, um, the, the problem that we had was that we couldn't get them to disperse, to spread wide very easily. They would always, there's a, there's a, there's a strange thing with high frequencies called the skin effect. Uh, they're certainly well known in, electri in electricity. The high frequencies will go around the outside of the wire. They don't necessarily go through the middle. This is called the skin effect. It's, uh, and I think actually sound has a similar thing. And 
it will it will stick almost to the device we put in the middle and all all be too narrow so it, it was um <laughs> you can, you're gonna i don't know you're gonna love this or hate it but um there was um in one of the many wars that we indulge in there was this new bomber called the stealth bomber which had all these shapes and they were talking about it because it would diffract the radar so i i thought well maybe i can use this this angular effect to in the opposite way and to get the sound to spread and yeah sure enough it did so form yeah it follows function is this a trial and error where you oh was yeah it mathematical or you made something you listened to it and it's all you, empirical right okay so great well anyway yeah it seems to sound really really great so thank you so much for uh, you know figuring that all out and sharing it with us all <laughs> thank you harley <laughs> Hi. Hi. Um, I think it's impressive how um, precise bass and high section is in your um, speakers. Also, what you said, the transient response. I think that's very impressive and also that's very convincing, especially if listening to, to electronic music. But personally, I feel, especially yesterday during Filteria, I think the midsection, it was just mud. And I wonder. Why is that? I'm, I think for techno, as long as there isn't a lot of mid-section, I think the function one is like perfect. But as soon as also the music before, there is just for me personally, it sounds like there is loudness on. Bass, bass response is up, hi-hat response is up, but in the middle section, there's just something missing for me. Okay, well, I mean... The speakers are not responsible for what people feed them, and uh, yeah, I know I know uh, Filteria very well, and on CD they sound much different. Well, um, you know, I, I, when we're doing a, a show, um, one of the things you try and do is adapt the system to what uh, the DJ's mixes are like. Um, and not very often are they um, either pure or, or even even. And, you know, what a guy's used to is what a guy will do. And um, if you heard it like that, then, I mean, you can make the speaker sound like anything you want. Yeah, um, I mean, if you, wanna, if you want more mids, then the midsection can be turned up. I mean, it's got four bands, bass, low mid, high mid, and treble. And you can, you know, you can turn any of these bands up and down, so. So it isn't by your design, it's like, it's tuned on the main floor. It's the way it gets used. I mean, the, the, I mean one of the problems is that there are very, the very few really good sound engineers in the world. I mean, it's all, I know it's a, it's not something I want to stand here and say, but uh, I'm not going to not say it because it is the fact. And um, they've, you know, like audio schools, they teach you how to use a computer and Pro Tools, but they don't teach you how to listen. Yeah, that's true. And, and that's what's missing. 
I have one more um, question. Uh, what bitrate was the MP3 you had in the? Uh, I think it, I think it was 128. Oh, okay. Thank so you. it's not the. Uh, shall we say it could be better? But if I did that, I you know it's hard enough sometimes to hear the difference. I didn't want to make it hard, any harder. Yeah, and it's the reality. Most people have it in 128. Probably. Yeah. Uh, besides to the 90,000 tunes, if you bought your music, you have it in CD anyways. Well, I think, I think one of the messages to come out of this, if you've still got a vinyl collection, hang on to it. Uh, don't turn it into MP3s, for heaven's sake. If, I mean, if you do want to digital, uh, digi di digitize uh, analog information, you need really to pay respect to our hearing you need about 96 kilohertz sample rate and about 24 bit depth and then you're getting pretty close to as um, human as analog it can be we seem to have got it back uh what can we and what can the music industry do to combat the fact that it's now swamped with badly compressed MP3 files. Because fair enough, I'm with you. I'd rather buy a better quality file and listen to it. But take, say, my younger brother, who earns a paper round, hasn't got much money, but wants to buy music. He's only, he goes on iTunes, and he gets the options of 79p for an MP3, or he pays more for a WAV file. He's always going to go for the cheaper one, because he can't tell the difference, because he's not listening to it in the same way that you might be. How do we and how does the industry go about reversing this trend that is just to get naff music everywhere? <laughs> okay, that's a very reasonable question. Um, I, I mean, on an iPod, you, you're not, you're not going to notice a huge amount of difference. And, and, okay, let me be more specific. I think that when you're, when you're being paid to play music to hundreds, thousands of people, then you, at that point, you, you should make sure that your, uh, the quality of your audio is up to, I mean, there's a big difference between um, a plug-in iPod set of speakers and say the speakers down at the main stage, and they're going to really show out that, you know, a respond to that difference. So I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't know what the difference in prices is. If it's an MP3 is like 30 cents and a, and yeah. a WAV file is um, a euro, I don't know. But um, it's, you know, I can understand there's an economic pressure there, but that, that doesn't exist where I'm really aiming this, which is at the professional world, which is, um, be honest, I just cannot believe how it's just gone down this road. You know, it's going to have to back out of it. I'm sorry, but that's it. You know, it's, it's wrong. Well, for an example, Beatport, which is uh, electro music, loads of different genres, and a lot of DJs that we're playing out will be downloading off there. For each WAV file that you want, you'll pay a pound WAV handling charge. So if you buy an album, you're adding an extra nine pound on top of buying it. So I think that's one of the reasons, like, the, yeah, it's a financial thing. But can't, what, what can we do to change it, though? I don't know. Maybe I need to talk to Beatport. Um, Fucking right. But, and I have, um, well, we have some connections there. But um, it, 
I'll just say the same thing again, actually, which is that at, at the professional level, this should not be a question. Okay. You, you know, I mean, yeah, if you're, if you're in your bedroom and, and you're fine with it, that's okay. But when you're playing out to a lot of other people, I think it's very disrespectful to be playing cheap quality stuff. Well, great work. Hi. Um, my question is about the test we experienced here. So I personally didn't hear any difference or maybe su you know, suggested difference, but not, not enough to, to really hear the difference. Between compressed and uncompressed. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, doing some tests on my own, I could hear a very pronounced difference between different sound cards and different sound interfaces. Yeah. Uh, but I've noticed you performed a test from a built-in laptop sound card, am I right? Yes. Uh, so don't you think the quality of the uh, no, digital to analog converters matters more than, um, than just, just compression? Or? Uh, absolutely. The problem is it all matters. You've got to get so many. Look, look, good sound is like cleaning windows. You clean, you clean a window and you can start to see through it. And then you find there's another dirty window behind that one. And then we just keep on cleaning the windows until you see the light. I mean, it's, <laughs> I guess it's a, a, a bit of a trite way of saying it. Um, um, so I, I've, I've lost my point. Um, <laughs> what was yours? <laughs> well, well the, the point was that, that maybe, maybe to hear the difference, uh, the test should be performed with a slightly better sound card, maybe. But I'm not ah, a quality ah, Okay, well... Um, last, about a year ago, we, we started really, really looking at digital because we've always used uh, analog um, equipment for, for all our testing and evaluating. Um, recently, I've been turned on to a sound card called Echo, which is not expensive. And it, it's, a, I don't know, it's a four, 200 euro card. And it sounds nearly as good as a 3,000 euro device. And, and, and it's Echo, they just happen to have got it right. Um, one of the worst ones out there is Pro Tools, believe it or not. And it makes a difference how, what your software you're playing with. As soon as you use plugins and auto leveling, and any kind of EQ, you're putting more layers of processing in, which is basically more mathematics. Unless the mathematics is perfect, it's just going to keep degrading it. So if you get any uh, something like Tractor or Serato, you want to switch out all the auto-leveling and all the EQ, and then, and then the sound that comes out of the software will, will be better. Um, and that's before you even get to the sound card. The, one of the best players is a free player called Fubar, uh, because it's simple. It just does a straightforward job, and it, it has very good audio quality for that reason. Okay, thank you. Okay. Hiya. Hello. All right, okay. Um, my question's about full-fat audio amplifiers. Um, <laughs> there's a, a recent internet storm on the internet about uh, faults being found within the amplifiers. I was just wondering, is Function 1 going to be able to pursue full-fat audio in future as the main manufacturer of their amplifiers, or are you going to be looking for an alternative? 
Well, firstly, full fat are not our main amplifier. I mean, the two that the two that we really like are, are MC squared and full fat. And um, you know, I don't. We we just listen to things on our speakers. We don't uh, put them on a bench and treat them like an electric fire, um, which is apparently how you know at, at extreme you know into clip then they um they have got a bit of an issue and it has actually shaken them up a bit and they're 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 looking at it but i you know i can't deny what i hear in these amplifiers they they've got a, a transparency and a translucentness about them that's uh, really very attractive that's that's just my question thank you okay hold on um, my question was about standing waves inside the cabinet. Um, I was, I've heard of some systems that use these standing waves to feed it back into the system for an increased output. Uh, my question was whether these function one system, does it try to damp the standing waves or does it utilize it to feed it back? We, we do try and damp everything that's, uh, if, if, if you like, spurious or uh, artifact to the original. Um, yeah, standing waves inside a box are a bit of a nuisance, but you have to use the right bracing and the right dampening materials inside to eliminate them. Now, I'm not saying that's the only approach in town, but um, that's what we tend to do. We, we like things to be dry and as original. It's just one of the professors at ISVR, uh, they spoke about the system that feeds back the standing waves uh, into the speaker itself, where, we, where it tries to get a better output with it, like, I was just... Uh, okay, uh, I mean, what's now going through my head is that uh, um, if they're getting more energy out of the box, you know, then my first question would be, what kind of energy in it is it, and and does it have any business being amongst the original? Well, I would say uh, it's increased acoustic pressure. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So you've got more energy, but is it is it good energy? Um, I don't know without without hearing it, looking at it, and even talking to the guy. But you know, it, it, it sounds interesting. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Last question. Hi, Tony. Hi, Diego. Um, okay, I think we pretty much had enough on the technical edge. <laughs> and I have a very precise question to you. Um, from a standpoint of existence, why are you creating these sound systems? What do you think we can make with them? I think I'll sit down again. Uh, <laughs> um, well, maybe it's a way of accessing the matrix. It's a it's a cerebral playground. Um, when the audio's good and everybody's feeling the top of their heads coming off, then we're all in that place together, and so. Having kind of understood this a long time ago, I figured, well, the thing we need to do is to get the speakers as 
as nice and as human as possible, as, as interesting and exciting. So the, the internal landscape is at its maximum beauty. That, so I'm, doing my, I'm trying to do my bit for whatever might come next. And boy, it needs to come. Thank you so much. Thank I, you so much. It seems to be time to stop. So um, thank you for staying with us. Um, I'm glad the machines showed us how totally unreliable they are. And um, thanks very much. Been nice talking to you. Thanks, man.